This is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 75, Ashvatthaman Goes Ballistic. Last episode, we saw the death of the Kuru's guru, Drona. We did not quite make it to the end of the 15th day, however, and the remainder of this day revolves around Ashvatthaman's reaction to the news of his father's death. These fighting Brahmins are odd ducks in the epic. While some themes in the epic are discussed endlessly, there seems to be one glaring theme that mostly goes unnoticed. That would be the subject of the blurring of caste distinctions. I do recall at one time the sage Markandeya describing the Kali Yuga as a time when castes got mixed up. We seem to see a lot of that in the story itself, but rarely does anyone mention it. Brahmins are supposed to be spiritual and nonviolent, so why is it that some of the toughest warriors in the story are Brahmins? One could argue that Dhritarashtra and Duryodhana do not behave like true Kshatriyas, while poor Karna is treated like a Sutta when he acts like a Kshatriya. The problem cuts both ways, and that Yudhishthira would have made for a better Brahmin in the forest than a king on his throne. We get a sense of how this blurring of castes can be problematic in the characters of Drona and his son. Their pride and vanity seem especially unchivalrous. While Bhishma truly loved all of his nephews and desired most of all their welfare, Drona seemed to place his pride and his son before all else. Drona's whole feud with King Drupad had to do with his own hurt pride because the king had not honored him as he'd expected. But at least Drona had a strong sense of loyalty to his patrons, and he stuck with them even when he knew the outlook was grim. The same could not be said for Ashvataman, however. As far as I can tell, this boy's only real loyalty was to his father and to his own inflated ego. You can already tell that this isn't going to turn out well. When the Karvas witnessed the death of their commanding general, it was as if the glue that held them together had suddenly dissolved. The army literally broke up into small groups and they began to flee in all directions. Ashvatthaman's first clue that something was awry was when he saw the army around him start to break up and run away. Anxiously, he went looking for Duryodhana to find out what had happened. He asked, Why is everyone running away, and why isn't anyone trying to stop them? Has something terrible happened? Duryodhana then sorrowfully proceeded to explain what had happened. He said at one point, seeing their side getting beaten back, Drona fired off the Brahma weapon. The devastation of that weapon turned the tide, and now it was the Pandavas who were in trouble. Krishna then proposed that they take Drona out of commission by telling him that his son was dead. Duryodhana said, Hearing Krishna's proposal, Arjun did not approve, but the others all approved of the plan, including Yudhishthira, after some initial resistance. Then it was Bhima who said Ashvataman is slain, but Drona did not believe him, so he asked Yudhishthira if it was true. Not wanting to lie, but desperately needing victory, Yudhishthira referred to an elephant of the same name and confirmed Bhima's lie. When Drona heard this, he no longer fought like he did before. Dristad Yumna did not fail to notice his weakness, and, ignoring the pleas and admonitions from all sides, he rushed over and cut off Drona's head while the Guru sat in prayer and meditation. Although he was forbidden to do this even by Arjun, Dristad Yumna killed your father. That is why everyone is running away. Sanjay said, Hearing the tale of his father's death, Drona's son became filled with a fierce wrath. He squeezed his hands and ground his teeth and breathed like a snake, and his eyes became red as blood. Ashvataman said, To be killed in battle is the best way to go, but my father was unarmed and seated when he was seized by the hare and murdered. I can't believe that Yudhishthira agreed to tell such a sinful lie. I have no doubt that my father has ascended to heaven, but this humiliation is intolerable. If I do not avenge his death, then what is the point of having a son? Today, I'm going to make Dristad Yumna and Yudhishthira pay for their sins, and I've got just the thing to take them out. He then went on to explain that one time the god Narayan took the form of a Brahmin and appeared before Drona. Drona gave this Brahmin the offerings that had been meant for him, 
and in return, Narayan offered him a boon. Drona asked for the Narayan weapon in return. The god gave it to him and assured him that nothing was safe from this weapon, but he should be careful because if it is used against an unarmed man, it will backfire on its wielder. Waving his secret weapon in the air, Ashvataman charged into battle to get his revenge. Meanwhile, on the Pandava side, there were many recriminations. Yudhishthira observed that the enemy had reformed and were charging back to resume the fighting. He asked Arjun who he thought had succeeded in rallying the troops. Arjun replied, Who do you think it is? It's the son of the man you helped to dishonestly kill. It's the boy who, when he was born, neighed like a horse, and thus he was named Ashvataman. That hero is roaring again today. Drupad's son, by an exceedingly cruel act, assailed Drona and took his life as if he was not his guru. Ashvataman will never forgive the way he grabbed his father by the hair. And you, O king, you lied to your guru for the sake of a kingdom. You of all people should have known better than to commit such a sinful act. Your ignominy will be remembered forever in all the worlds. Drona trusted you, man. He was thinking, the son of Pandu is the most virtuous man. Besides, he's my own pupil. He would never lie to his guru. It doesn't matter that you pretended to refer to an elephant. It is still just as much a sin. You can go ahead and try to save your friend Dristid Yumna here, but there's no chance he's going to survive that boy's wrath. And you can't say I didn't tell you so. I cried out repeatedly to save his life, and yet, disregarding my advice, the disciple killed his guru. The best days are now behind us. This exceedingly unrighteous act will stain the remainder of our days. He loved us like a father. For the sake of a mere kingdom, we killed an elderly Brahmin who was unarmed and in deep meditation, and I wish I was dead. Bhima had heard enough by now, and he interrupted. Come on, what's wrong with you? You preach at us like a monk in the woods. Are you a Kshatriya, aren't you? The job of a warrior is to act in response to injustice. Have you forgotten what your enemies did to Draupadi? Perhaps you have forgiven them for all that they did to us, but you came with us to battle to perform a duty. You had sworn then to kill all of those who oppose us, but now you sit here and criticize. You know, we've had a bloody hard time of it this past week, and your words cut us more deeply than the enemy's arrows. Besides, I am your brother. You know me and my strength, so why do you even entertain any fears of Drona's son? Alone with my mace, I'll kill him myself. Dristed Yumna was not going to let this go unchallenged either, and I guess the enemy was still a ways off. He said, So tell me, Arjun, the sages decreed the six duties of a Brahmin. They are sacrifices, teaching, charity, assisting in sacrifices, receiving alms, and study. Now, which of these exactly was your pirate guru performing when he helped kill your son? No, that wicked man has fallen far from his dharma as a Brahmin, and even worse, he used weapons of mass destruction against the regular soldiers. He used illusions repeatedly against us to kill more people, and we used illusions against him. What is improper in this? I don't see what is so wonderful that his son has madly led these soldiers to their death, unprotected as they are. And how can you accuse me of killing my guru? Everyone knows I was born for this very purpose. Because he fought, he was not worthy of being a Brahmin. And because he fought unfairly, using magic weapons against the regular folks, he is not worthy to be called a Kshatriya either. That man killed my father and all my kinsmen. He had a terrible vendetta against all the people of Panchala, and he killed us relentlessly. You should be congratulating me right now. You are my liege lord, so you ought not reproach me. I forgive what you said, for my sister draw pity's sake if nothing else. But fight now, and may victory be yours. Arjun, probably sensing that it was unbecoming to argue further, muttered a little, but he held his tongue. Satyaki, however, was too outraged to keep silent. He said, 
Why do we just stand here listening to this wretch? Why doesn't someone just take him out and kill him? He's a guru killer and a Brahmin killer. Dristid Yumna replied, I've already explained this. I was born to kill this guy. Besides, everyone has their hands dirty in this war. The Pandavas killed their own uncle Bhishma, and Arjun shot off Burushrava's arm unfairly. The other guys have done countless sinful things. That's how all this started. But you know what? I forgive you everything you said. We all need to stick together after all. But really, you're the last person who should be complaining after what you've done. I remember good King Burushravas had given up fighting and was preparing to meet his death when you ran up and cut his head off. Now that was a shameful act. And you only did it because you were mad that he was a better fighter and he had kicked you in the head. For shame. Bhima had to run over and put Satyaki in a bear hug to prevent him from jumping on Dristed Yumna. Anyway, the discussions had gone on long enough. They were all under attack after all. So it just says that Krishna and Yudhishthira, after a great effort, succeeded in pacifying the two heroes, and then they all proceeded together to commence battle. As soon as he entered the fray, Ashvataman did not mess around. Immediately, he flipped on his Narayan weapon. The device hummed to life, and it took on a shape like an explosive orb, full of knives, arrows, stones, and discs. Repeatedly, he set it off, mowing down soldiers by the thousands and tens of thousands. Yudhishthira said, Holy shit, everybody, run away. Forget about this war. It's every man for himself. Let Duryodhana have the crown. I killed my guru today, and I deserve to die. This was a critical moment, and Krishna moved quickly. First, he countermanded Yudhishthira's orders and told everyone to lay down their weapons and get down on the ground. He said, If you stay on the ground, unarmed, this weapon cannot harm you but anyone who even thinks of resisting this weapon shall be killed. Trusting Krishna and his tricks, the soldiers all obeyed, except Bhima, who took great exception to this. He said, Nothing scares me. I don't lay my weapons down for anyone. And you, Arjun, don't put aside your Gandava bow. That would be dishonorable. Arjun said, Well, um, actually, I swore an oath once that I would never use my bow against Brahmins, cattle, and the Narayan weapon. So I sort of have no choice. Now that sounds a little too convenient for me, but Beam didn't question it. Neither did he put his weapon down. As the only armed man, the energy from the Narayan weapon arced over to Bhima and engulfed him in a bright blare of electricity. Arjun wasn't going to let his brother be killed that easily, so he created a magic shield for him, protecting Bhima from the worst of the blast. But still, the energy of the Narayan weapon had nowhere else to go than to Bhima, and the intensity grew to the point that neither the Pandava nor his chariot were visible beneath the glow. To help protect him, Krishna and Arjun ran into the beam. Being unarmed, they were still unaffected, so Krishna yelled at Bhima, saying, What's the matter? Lay down your weapon. If I thought you had a chance against this guy, do you think I would have told you to put down your arms? Finally, Bhima came to his senses and put down his cudgel. Instantly, the deadly energy of that weapon dissipated, leaving just a cool breeze over the battlefield. Duryodhana called to Ashvataman, Look! They're picking up their weapons. Shoot them again. But Ashvataman said, Sorry, but that was only good for one shot. Krishna has outmaneuvered us again. Duryodhana said, Oh well, never mind. You've got plenty more magic weapons where that came from. I'm sure you'll do better next time. Indeed, the Carvo's quite right. After dueling with Dristed Yumna, Setyaki, and Bhim, and driving each of them from the field, Ashvataman found himself up against Arjun. And this time, Arjun was not in so forgiving a mood. But, rather than trying his luck against the Pandava, Ashvataman conjured up his Agneya weapon, probably the closest thing to a nuclear bomb, and he set it off right in the heart of the battle. 
We are told that the force of this blast killed an entire Oxahini of Pandava troops, something like a hundred thousand men. And when it was done, the charred corpses were indistinguishable from one another. Only Arjun and Krishna were able to protect themselves from this blast. Despite the horrendous loss of life, the fact that Arjun had survived the very worst weapons anyone had thrown at him was a great victory for the Pandavas. Ashwatthama was sorely dispirited to see that his most precious WMD were insufficient for the job. In anger and frustration, he turned his car around and drove away from the battle. Looking to heaven, he asked, Why? Why didn't my weapon blow up the whole world like my dad promised it would? Why did it only kill a few foot soldiers and Arjun got out of it completely unhurt? He wasn't the only person likely to ask this question, so Vyasa stepped in to explain. He said, You ask a good question, my son. The ancient Rishi Narayan is said to be older than even the gods. In his austerities, he created Nar and this pair together attain the highest level of awareness. You, on the other hand, derive your power from Shiva. Vyasa's explanation was much more wordy than that, but that is about all I could make out of his explanation. In any case, this seemed to satisfy Ashvataman somewhat, and he ordered the Karvas to turn in for the night, and this ended the 15th day of the war. This also ends the Book of Drona, the seventh book of the Mahabharata. I'm going to press on to the next book, however. That would be Book 8, the Karnaparva. The story of the 15th day carries on into the 8th book, so I'd like to continue to get a better stopping point in the story. Next episode, I plan on making a brief digression from the story itself, so we can look back on the story so far and explore some ideas I have about the book and the times it describes. Getting back to the story, the Book of Karna begins with the withdrawal of the Karva troops at the end of Day 15. It says that, back at the camp, Duryodhana led the main surviving heroes to greet Ashvataman and to commiserate with him. It was a somber moment, and no one had much to say, so they soon broke up and went to their tents. None of them slept that night, however, because they each were haunted by memories of the dice game. The next morning, they went through the motions of preparing for battle. With no deliberation and barely any ceremony, Karna was appointed the new commander-in-chief of the Karva army. Even the boastful Karna spared us a speech. We've all heard it before anyway. Sanjay tells us that the Pandavas spent the night without incident and went to war resolved to win. Then he said, The crews and the Pandavas then resumed their tumultuous battle, each eager for victory. The two armies battled for two days while Karna was in command, and it was really spectacular. But then, after he killed a lot of people, Karna was killed by Palguna while the Dhatarastras looked on. It says, Sanjay then went quickly to Hastinapur and reported to Dhritarashtra everything that had happened. You know, I've been getting suspicious of that whole Sanjay has divine sight plot device for quite a while now. I haven't mentioned it before, but there have been occasional hints in the text that there existed a version of this story in which Sanjay is reporting the battle as he witnessed it in person. For instance, when reporting emotional scenes, he would say things like, We all wept when we saw whatever making it seem that he was actually there when it happened, as opposed to being an all-seeing eavesdropper. I never liked the way they contrived to give Sanjay his divine sight either. As I recall, Krishna makes a special trip down to Hastinapur, just before the war, and all just to make sure Dhritarashtra gets to experience the war firsthand. Then he leaves again to get back to preparing for war. My best guess is that the author originally intended to have Sanjay report the war in the form of dispatches from the battlefield. But then, as he went along, he wanted to be able to have Dhritarashtra react to events and ask questions while the action was still underway. Thus, 
he rather crudely worked in the divine sight device, and then he failed to expunge the evidence of the prior explanation. Anyway, that's all for now. When the story picks up, we'll have Karna in charge, at least for a couple of days. Thanks for listening.